man, man, man. Y'all don't know. Y'all don't know. You don't know what it's like to spend about an hour and a half recording a podcast and then losing the entire thing. So here I am 24 hours later re-recording the same things I talked about 24 hours ago. It should be a little bit easier. I'm expecting a better flow now that I've gone through my ideas and explained them. Although I'm not happy about it, I think you guys will get a better experience. So there's that. I may or may not get into the details of how this happened, but if I don't, just know that it's because I couldn't handle my blood pressure going any higher. Or as Joe Biden would say, higher. <laughs> You're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast, the only show on the interwebs that has nothing to do with the title. I guess that depends on who you ask. I used to live in paradise. When I say paradise, I mean San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. I swung in a hammock. I went to the beach. I went sailing. I went fishing. And I traded all that in to move to Corpus Christi, Texas and run a brewery. Don't ask me if it's worth it yet. Give me a couple more years. Other than that, I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots of opinions. Chances are you'll agree with some, but not with others. But we can still be friends. And I come here about once a week or so to vent and get everything off my chest. Hopefully in the process, I can make some friends. But most of all, my number one goal is to spread the idea that we can all disagree without being disagreeable. And disagreements are nothing more than differences of opinions. Typically, there's no right or wrong. And if there's one thing you'll know about me, it's that I don't do pre-recorded intros. Without further ado, sit back, relax, and hand me the flashlight for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. You don't know how it feels to be me. I fully believe that you don't know how it feels until you've deleted a podcast in the process of editing it. It was a little bit more complicated than that. What had happened was I kept getting the dreaded error messages from Mac saying, your storage is low. Try deleting some files to continue working. Click here to see how you're overloaded. So I did and I clicked on the thang thang and it showed me, hey dude, all of these podcasts you have, they're like 500 megabytes each. Why don't you delete some? So I started scrolling through them, and I thought to myself, okay, I've got these, which are the GarageBand files. These are the big ones, but I've also got the MP3 files, which are way smaller. Those I upload to a website that, that publishes the podcast. So I deleted a bunch of the GarageBand files, not really knowing. <laughs> not really know. A bunch of them had like, you know, blah, 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 dot exe, dot whatever, whatever. And, and I thought, I don't know what this is. I'm going to delete it. And so I deleted a whole bunch of gigabits or whatever they're called from my computing machine. And <laughs> I think that the, the file from yesterday was included in the batch. And I felt so good. I was so proud of myself for freeing up a bunch of space. It's like emptying out a storage building and getting rid of all the things you don't need. And then I went to go back and edit yesterday's podcast this morning. 
and it's like there's no file there. It's gone. <laughs> and I looked in like the trash can or whatever you want to call it. Remember they used to call it the recycle bin? I don't know what it's called anymore. But I went there. Of course, it wasn't there. So here I am. Take two. I heard recently about a high school football quarterback. I don't remember his name. I'm so bad at this. I remember the story. I hear the details, and then I forget all of the little details. But anyway, he was a high school quarterback outside of Houston. And I think he was in the playoffs, or he was winning. He was doing well. But the kicker was that the guy had no legs. He had, uh, (laughs) I want to say robot legs, but he didn't have robot legs. He had prosthetic legs. But they were the kind that have, like, the springs built in and all that stuff. So they weren't just, like, the old-school plastic legs that you see guys wearing that's difficult for them to walk. This kid had complete limb installations or replacements or whatever you want to call it before you even learned to walk. And so this kid could move around the football field just as well or better than someone who had natural legs that they were born with. And that got me to thinking, as most things do, about if you knew that you could remove your kid's legs. I know it sounds weird. Just hang with me. Hang with me. I live in a hypothetical world. You have to remember that. So oftentimes I talk about things just as it's a, a, a plethora of your imagination. I'm just, I know that's not the right word. I just talk about things that I, that I wonder. I wonder a, a lot. And so I wonder if, if you knew that your kid could perform better with prosthetic legs, would you replace them before you learn to walk? And I know that seems super crazy. And it is. It is. I would never do it today. But I think 100 years from now or 50 to 100 years from now, maybe people will do it. I mean, obviously, you wouldn't do it for a 1% gain, right? But let's just say that you knew that your kid could run three times as fast and that they have a huge advantage in sports. And I think this is what might happen, is that people are going to see what kind of advantage that these robotic and prosthetics will give us over time, you know, it's going to happen slowly. And then people are going to be faced with the option of removing their limbs and replacing them with something that performs better. Now, I don't think that this will work for anyone over a certain age. I'm not a doctor, so I can't tell you, you know, at what point are, are your skills irreversible. But if you can do it before they learn to walk, and that's all they ever know, I don't know. I, I think that there will be some people who do it. And then they're going to get, like, judged. They'll be, and, and maybe they should be, you know? They're going to be looked down on. And then once their performance is different, maybe other people will start joining the party. And it's not going to happen, like, in a matter of a decade. This is over a long period of time. I think whenever the prosthetics get better and better, and you see a guy, like, you know, lose his arm from the elbow down, and he gets this amazing robotic that's controlled by, you know, electrical power, then he has... 10 times the strength and you see him like pick up a, a log and crush it in his hands. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I would consider, <laughs> I don't know. I say I would consider it, but maybe I wouldn't, but that would be handy, right? It would be nice. I mean, think if you were a worker and your, and your hands were how you made money and, and that was where your strength came from. And the more you could do with your hands, the more valuable your job was and you could invest in some robotic hands and, and that would make, Make things better. And I know that it's like the sensation is not the same. Like, I probably wouldn't want to give up the feeling of what it feels like to run your hands through someone's hair. Not a guy's hair. A girl's hair. Not that there's anything wrong with running your hands through a guy's hair if you're a guy, but I just prefer to run my hands through a girl's hair. 
maybe creepy, but it's the first thing that came to my mind. Like, that's why I don't want to give up my fingers, okay? Let's just get it straight. So, who knows? It, it's something that I just thought of. It's a possibility. I think what I'm going to do is start keeping this big, giant calendar. And I'm going to go way into the future and make predictions. And I want to take predictions from other people, too. A lot of these people that I follow, that I listen to their podcasts, I watch their YouTube channel, and a lot of these guys always make predictions about you know, stock prices, crypto prices, future things, what's going to happen. And I think it'd be really cool to track all that and predict it and see who's accurate and who's not. And that's something that only pays off in the long run. You know, you don't, you have to spend all kinds of time investing, putting information into it. And then you don't really get to see the value until you reach those dates. So I think it'd be really cool to create a calendar and then give other people access to it too. Somehow people that you trust or you know are going to put legitimate things in there. And have this calendar that just lives forever of predictions and happenings and tracking accuracy. Probably not the most efficient way to manage data, but it's something simple enough that a guy like me could figure out. Speaking of figuring things out, one of the things I ponder quite a bit is if I would, if I had the opportunity to time travel, if I would go back in time or forward in time. And I think recently I've figured out it's not the future. Well, the future is intriguing to me, but more importantly is the aspect of how things change over time and how we, since we're living it by the moment, don't notice these changes. And so I often think, man, would I want to go back to like the industrial revolution and see these factories being built and seeing how there was such a demand for labor that workers were pretty much indispensable. And that's, that's what brought about all these unions and worker protection is because Companies had so much labor at their disposal that they looked at it like just another input. And if we lose a worker, then there'll be someone there to step in. I think things have changed over time. I think unions are now unnecessary, but that's another topic. So I often ponder if I'd rather go back into the past and see Jesus walking around or the first time someone invented fire or the moment that Bitcoin was brought live. I mean, there's so many things I'd love to see in the past. I watch documentaries every night when I'm falling asleep about history. And so it's I'm tor I'm torn between that and traveling into the future. The future would be really cool too, just because I'm so curious about it and I want to know what things look like and I want to see if my predictions are right. This is part of the reason why I think I'm going to do the calendar idea. But we just get so caught up in our day-to-day -day life and Oftentimes, it takes a moment of tragedy, you know, to, to, as we say, put things into perspective. And, and what happens is something tragic happens, and you feel this sense of love and joy for people around you or your pets or things that you've never thought of before. But then that fades away, and we just go back to living. So I think it should be a goal to feel that, feel that need and that appreciation for, for those things that you do have Whenever something tragic happens, if we can figure out how to feel that at all times, if everyone can do that, then I think the world would be a different place. You know, we get caught up in so much of this arguing about opinions that do not matter. You know, it, in the grand scheme of things, the butcher, the barber, the candlestick maker, things like transgender bathrooms shouldn't matter. They shouldn't care. And, 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 I, and I mean that going... It, both ways like the people who are screaming that we need transgender bathrooms and we have to force it on businesses and we got to do it they shouldn't care either and they shouldn't care 
because it's such a small percentage of our population. It's such a minuscule amount of people who get affected by these things. But yet we feel this sense of passion, and a lot of it is provoked by these quote-unquote leaders, that they, they invoke this in us to help push their agenda and to create a division. And it works. It works. I mean, just look at social media. Look at how much stuff goes around that does not matter. I mean, used to, when a person was shot and killed by a police officer, it didn't make the news. It didn't matter what color their skin was. It didn't matter. It didn't matter. And it doesn't. It doesn't matter. There are no statistics that says that it matters. There's no weighted statistic that says, hey, guys, we've got a problem here. And even if there was that statistic out there, you can't just pin it down to one factor. You can't just say, oh, well, it must be the police. Because we live in a world of constantly changing variables. And this is where I get to the point where I start talking about this great divide, this division that's taking place in our country. And people are not immune to it. They understand it. They see it. I think a lot of people don't understand why it's happening. I think people want to always blame one particular thing or one particular person for this big division that's occurring. I wholeheartedly believe within, I don't know, 25 years, there's going to be at least two different autonomous regions of the U.S., maybe three. And you're going to either take the, the mindset of the left or the mindset of the right. And that is not how our founding fathers intended it to be. So I spent a bunch of time thinking about this and reading and going back at history. And the only conclusion that I could come up with, and listen, I'm just a dumb former construction worker. So my opinion is just that. It's just an opinion. I could be wrong, and that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion. But here's my opinion. If you go back and you watch a bunch of debates from pre-1975, maybe even 1980. I don't know. I haven't watched many debates past 1980 because I felt like things already started to change right around then. So I went back and watched a bunch of debates from 1945 to 1965. And the one thing that I noticed is that all politicians, or particularly the ones that were debating, they all had the same end goal in mind. They had the same finish line. They wanted to increase the buying power of the middle class. They all wanted to lower taxes. They all wanted less government interference. Those were all common themes. They wanted to control the immigration of the U.S. Everything that they wanted to do was in the light of improving the entirety of the U.S. The majority of the people that make up the U.S., it's to improve their life. They weren't picking and choosing little groups within that majority to improve their life. Because remember, for all intents and purposes, to improve the life of one, you have to take away from the quality of life from the other. It's a kind of a stupid concept, I know, but that's just the way it is. Because resources are finite. So they all had the same end goal in mind, but they did disagree on how they were going to achieve that goal. Now, if you compare that with today, the goals of Bo Jiden and the goals of Trunk were extremely different. The vision that they had for the country, the finish line, if, if Joe Biden was sharp enough to sit there and close his eyes and describe what a world would look like, it would look completely different than what the optimal world of Trunk would look like. And that, I think, is the main reason why we're having this divergence. I don't know what will put us back on the same path. I honestly don't think it's possible. I don't see them, I don't see either side changing their vision on what the end game looks like. And so because of that, 
we're going to just keep going apart and apart. And I kind of feel like, hey, let's just call it what it is. Let's just do this now and get it over with. I had the same theory on COVID. You know, flatten the curve, flatten the curve, flatten the curve all you want to. In the end, the number of deaths is the same. Whether you peak and fall or you stretch it out over two years. Number of deaths is the same. There's people that are going to argue and say, yeah, but we had the vaccine. Yeah, the vaccine doesn't work. Yeah, but it stops people from dying. You don't know. We had no control group. You don't know that. There's no evidence. I don't care. Show me your peer reviews. It doesn't matter. With no control group over a broad study, it's worthless. So any virologist will tell you that whether you peak or flatten, you have the same number of deaths. So I'm kind of like, maybe we should just rip off the Band-Aid and get this over with. What's the point of dragging this on? It causes problems. It causes issues. And nobody wants to see the country divided. It's just like you're, no one wants to see your company go out of business. But at some point, when you can look at your numbers and look at the books and look at trends and look at where things are going and think, am I going to let my pride let me talk me into run this thing into the ground? Or am I just going to pull the plug and quit and cut my losses and move on? I kind of feel like that's where we're at. Maybe it's time to just suck it up and do this. I don't know. I know it sounds like I'm going to fight for my country. I'm never going to give up. I'm never going to advocate that. But unless someone tells me what will get us back on the same track, because what happens is the, the pendulum swings to the left, swings to the right. It's farther and farther and farther and farther. So we're not going to just all of a sudden wake up one morning and have a shared ideology. I, that's such a hard word. Ideology. Ideo, ideolo, ideology. And I get it. That, that, that constant tug of war over the middle creates creates balance but we're figuring out that maybe maybe we'd rather have uh something that looked like an extreme version of what we want and let someone else have an extreme version of what they want because that's what the media outlets figured out they figured out that people would rather do and hear and listen to things that align with their opinions i don't know i'm not arguing for it i'm just throwing the idea out there i like to put ideas out there let people think about them and who knows? Have conversations with people about, hey, what do, you, do you think this is a good idea? What would happen if this happened? But the biggest thing is to avoid being emotional about it because it's just an opinion. Nobody wants to live in a world where the ideas are 180 degrees of their own. So I know that I don't want to live in a world that looks like a socialism ruling monarchy. And I know that there's lots of people out there who say they don't, but the agenda that they're pushing is heading in that direction. In the same time, I know there's a lot of people out there that wouldn't want to live in my highly capitalist, highly unregulated, small government world where everyone takes care of themselves. There's lots of people who wouldn't want to live in that world. So instead of me getting dragged into the Karl Marx world or me dragging someone into the Brandon Harper world, why don't we just have our own separate worlds? Would that be so bad? With, with, with freedom to travel between the two, but economic systems that operated completely differently. This is what the European Union is. Don't shoot me. I'm just a thought-provoking messenger. Speaking of messenger, I'm going to fly through this because i got a lot of other stuff to get to. But I had a, uh, an epitome the other day when I figured out how many more views live videos get on YouTube as compared to pre-recorded ones. And it kind of hit me that I think that eventually when we're all living in this metaverse and it's going to happen whether you want it to or not or whether you approve of it or disapprove of it, it's only a matter of time. Uh, I hope that it happens long after I'm gone, but who's to say? 
So in this metaverse, in this virtual reality land that we're all going to be hanging out in, I think that's going to kill the idea of pre-recorded things. I think everything's going to be done live. I cannot say that without thinking of Bill O'Reilly screaming, do it live. And I think that there's going to be a, a place that you'll go to. You know, you sit down in the audience and you're watching this person, or if it's a podcast, they're going to be sitting at a desk with their guests. And, and obviously their guests can be at different places. But you could probably sit there in the audience and you'll probably be the only one in the room. You don't need to be around other people. You can just be you and the podcasters. Maybe you can pay a little bit of money and sit at the table and talk to them. And I think just think that the idea of pre-recording things is going to be done because it will be so easy to integrate live things. Now, I do think that you'll be able to go back and rewatch that because schedule constraints and timing and all that sort of thing. But I don't think people are going to... I mean, why would you record something and not allow access... To them if you're if you're if you're working off the cuff or impromptu you're not there will be less scripting anyway that's just my opinion that's my opinion I also think there's going to be huge advertising opportunities I was watching someone the other day streaming as they were walking around in Decentraland and they're walking around and I'm thinking there's no advertising there's no brands anywhere there's nothing and that will come that's going to happen I don't know how soon, but it will be one of the first things that happen in the metaverse so that people will start being able to buy advertising space. Figure out how to get in on that. Speaking of getting in, I want to do a brief rundown or synopsis of the Ukraine situation for those of you who haven't heard all the details or don't really understand what's happening with, with Putin on the border of Ukraine. When the USSR fell apart, there was a bunch of different little regions that became independent countries. And as Putin came into power, he didn't like that. He thinks that all these countries were part of Mother Russia and that they need to go back to being part of Russia. All these little countries are saying, no, no, leave us alone. We're not part of you. We want to do our own thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're trying to maintain their independence, but they're fully aware that if Putin came in, he could overcome them and take them back and forcefully if he needed to. He also likes the fact that they rely on Russia for a lot of their energy resources, natural gas, oil, infrastructure, this sort of thing. And he likes that, so he controls them with that. Well, right now the Ukraine is saying, we want to be part of NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And that's just a group of countries who have all agreed that they're on the same team. And it's slowly moving. It started in Western Europe, and it's slowly adding countries that are to the east. I think there's, I don't know how many countries are in it. I don't want to lie and sound stupid. But they're slowly trying to add countries to increase this power of these countries that are in a treaty together. Well, the Ukraine wants to enter the NATO because when you enter NATO, you pay in money, you contribute some resources, but you get the protection of all the other countries that are in NATO, including the U.S. and Great Britain. So the Ukrainians are like, dude, we want in that club. We want to be in there. What's the cover charge? Let us up in the club. And Putin is like, you will not join NATO. He, I think he said something along the lines of NATO can go to hell. I don't know. What, who cares? Why does he have such a problem with him? I don't know. But he does. He do. So he's going to say to them, look, Ukraine's part of Russia. I'm thinking about just coming in there and taking back what's mine. 
And so he's got a, over 100,000 troops on the border. And to put that into perspective, at the maximum time in Iraq, when we had the most troops over there, we had 67,000. And now he's got 100,000 on the border. Plus, he's got jokers in Belarus doing all kinds of military practice drills. Will he invade? That's the question. Nobody seems to know. Nobody seems to know, which is odd to me. They're saying they're not. Their prime minister is saying that they have no desire to. He's like, He says, we can assemble our troops and do military exercises anywhere we want to within our borders or within the borders of our allies. And the U.S. is over here saying, don't invade, don't invade Putin, don't do it, don't do it. Putin's saying, I'm not going to. Chill out. I'm not going to. So there's kind of three different thoughts. There's the thought of, yes, he's going to invade. No, he's not going to invade. And then the third theory, which don't call it a conspiracy theory because it's actually a theory, and it's not a conspiracy that they're theorizing about, but the third school of thought is that the U.S. is kind of making this into a bigger deal than what it really is so that they can create this threat or what you've probably heard, a false flag. And so the way that it works is the U.S. starts blowing up the media, showing all these troops in, Putin's going to invade, he's going to invade, he's going to invade, he's going to come in, y'all, come on, let's get ready, let's do it. And they build this fear. And so they build support amongst other countries and other people to allow them to go in and take action, preemptive action. Now, Biden is not in charge of this thing, likes to look like he is, likes to pretend like he is, but he's got people that are shouting in his ears what to do. And these people are all motivated by other things. They're not trying to make world peace. No matter what they tell you, no matter what they say, these people who are calling the shots, they have other things that motivate them. Now, I can't tell you specifically who's motivated by what, but these people that are making these decisions, they've got deep ties. Biden's got deep, deep ties with Ukraine and China and all these foreign countries. Biden has been selling political secrets since he, he got into office. It's a family business. His uncle did it. His dad did it. They all did it. So regardless, there's people that have motivations to see things happen. Now, let's just take, for example, hypothetically, there's there's a guy at the top who owns a bunch of stock in Raytheon and Boeing and all these companies that that thrive whenever war goes on because the government's buying things from them. And it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibilities for someone to own 20, 30, 40 million dollar stock in a company. And if that thing goes up 5, 10%, they make tons of money. Their friends make tons of money. Their family makes tons of money. There's tons of people who benefit. Now, I don't think that in their mind they think, I'm going to do this just for profit. I think that it becomes a pathological sequence to where they are so convinced that it's going to help and do good and defend Ukraine. That's one ear. They got that. They're unconscious. They're struggling with this. And then they got the other ear saying, well, we are about to get rich in this mug. And so it's probably a little bit of a struggle. And I think they convince themselves that they're doing the right thing. I know it seems kind of odd because you and I have never been in that position. But I think it happens. I think it happens on a smaller scale. Maybe you can identify some examples in your life where you think it might, you might have seen something like this. But we're often put in a position to make a decision between something that will help us and something that will, could hurt someone else. And if we can convince ourselves that there's one solution that works out for the best of everyone, we'll go with that solution. This is human nature. This is nothing new. 
We're always seeking efficiency, or we should be anyways. We're trying to figure out, okay, if I'm going to go run errands, it makes sense to hit these two places first and then go over here because we want to be most efficient. We're motivated by finishing fast, and we get our errands done at the same time. Maybe a poor example. Who knows? But you get where I'm coming from. So what do I think? Do I think Putin's going to invade? I honestly have no clue. I have no... It's a coin toss. I wouldn't bet either way on it. I don't think he will. I think it's probably most likely that he's putting his troops there to flex and say, do not let Ukraine join NATO. And he thinks to himself, if they make a move on me, I'll make a move on them, but I'm not going to make the first move. That's kind of what I feel like. A war is tough on your resources. It's tough on your population. It's tough on morale. It's, it's hard all the way around. So it's not like they're enemies. I was talking to Junior about it, which was Wojtek's friend, the Polish guy that was visiting. I talked to him about it, and he said the sentiment of the Russian soldiers would be like the U.S. invading Canada. Like, we all know that Canada stands no chance against the U.S. We all know that guys that would be fighting against each other, had it been any other day of the week, would be drinking beer at a bar together. But the only reason they're fighting is because their governments have problems with each other. Unlike somewhere similar to the Pakistan and India border, who they've been fighting for generations. You know, they hate each other's guts. So that animosity can lead to a, a motivated soldier, people who want to go in there and kill. But from what I understand, and I haven't been there, but from what I understand, the Russians have no problem with the Ukrainians, the people. They have nothing. So imagine you're in the military, and all of a sudden, slow Biden says, Oh, we need you to the border. Canada, Canada, Canada. We need you in Canada. And so the U.S. moves all these troops to Canada border. And he's like, okay, go in and take it. And they're like, dude, why? <laughs> we have no problem with these guys. I mean, yes, they love rules. Yes, they love control. Yes, they love mandating things. We're okay with that. They pay crazy taxes, but that's them. It's not us. Let them do their deal. No. Go in and slaughter. It's just not, it's not feasible in my opinion. So I think he's going to flex. And I think Biden might impose some economic sanctions. And we'll see what happens from there. But that's the rundown. That's that's probably 15 hours worth of research provided to you for free. That's called value, ladies and gentlemen. You know what's dying? Speaking of dying, tough. Tough is dying. Comedy is dying also, but that's for a different day. But tough is dying. I don't think the average Americans are teaching people to be tough or expecting them to be tough anymore i remember my grandfather specifically telling me you're a boy you're a man it's your job to be tough you need to be tough you need to be tough for your mom you need to be tough for the people around you you need to be tough for yourself it was always a theme with papa tell me to be tough and i'll never forget it and i think it worked but i don't know why do i think tough is dying because we're not teaching it we don't give people credit for being tough we don't reward them for being tough. And it's not required to be tough. As life goes on and we get technological advancements, our lives become easier. We live in a climate-controlled world. We have air conditioning and heating in our vehicles, in our cars, in every store we go into. So the idea of enduring things that, are, that used to seem intolerable is unnecessary. We don't have to be tough. And so I think it takes a targeted 
movement or or you have to like specifically focus on being tough or making yourself tough or making your kids tough. And I and I don't mean that in a way of like being um inconsiderate or or hard. Like you can be tough and still be sensitive because those two don't they're not tied together. Tough just means the ability to endure a situation that you don't enjoy or something that hurts you or something that causes discomfort. The ability to push through that. Is that a bad thing? Is it bad to teach your kids, hey, if you fall down, just get back up. Whatever's wrong with you, we'll, we'll fix it. We'll address it. But you keep pushing. You signed up to play baseball. You don't like it. I'm sorry, but you committed to doing it. You have to finish the season. But I don't want to finish the season. That's okay. I know you don't want to. But you're going to be tough, and you're going to push through it. Where's the value now? What does that teach people? It teaches people to do exactly that, to push through something when you don't like it, and to finish something, and to complete it. Because whenever you bail on something, whenever you quit a commitment, you're letting someone down. Obviously, if it's something like, oh, I committed to playing piano, and then I quit, well, okay, I mean... You can't be expected to do something for the rest of your life just because you tried it out once. But did you commit? Did you make a commitment? If you commit to doing something, you should follow through. And I just think that that's, that will only help people get through life. Because no matter what you do, no matter where you go, you will encounter things that you don't like, that you don't enjoy. And the fortitude to push through those, the fortitude to walk up that steep hill and get to the top, the commitment to finishing something you started, those are all things that could only help you in life. And I realize time is limited. I understand that. But you won't get anywhere. If you are taught to just stop things that you don't like, you'll end up nowhere. Think about the caveman. Think about when the caveman broke his leg and they had no medical intervention. They had no painkillers. They had nothing. Think that caveman just laid down on life and just quit and just laid down and died? No. Think he committed suicide? Probably not. He learned to live with a broken leg. And he pushed through. And he thought, I would assume that he thought something along the lines of, well, I'm here. I've got a broken leg. i got to make the best of it. And he lived through the rest of his life with a broken leg. Because he had no option. He had no alternative. And I think that if we, if we don't teach tough, if we don't teach fortitude and endurance and upholding commitments, it's gonna, the world will look totally different. And I realize it's changing. And, and I'm a firm believer that this all started with like timeout, with timeout kids. You know, we teach kids, well, I, don't, I say we. There are people out there who teach their kids, hey, if you mess up in school, it's not, the, it's not your fault. It's the teachers. They don't like you. I remember being so upset with my mom. She would side with the teachers every single time. And looking back on it, I am so glad she did. I didn't understand it at the time. I had friends whose parents always sided with the teacher. And they could get in trouble at school and go home and nothing would happen. And I was so jealous of them at the time. Because if I got in trouble at school, I got in more trouble at home. It didn't matter. It didn't matter if I disagreed with the teacher or what. And I didn't get it at the time and I get it now. And I'm very thankful that my mom did that to me. Because the more that we teach people that they're not at fault, and the less that we hold them accountable, 
the more we're going to have these people that don't know how to make decisions, that don't know how to push through problems. They're just so used to getting their way. They expect to get it every time. And the only reason that their expectations are that is because those expectations have been fulfilled that way for their entire life up to that point. The tougher you are, the more ability you have to push through adversity. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a good thing. And I'm going to just leave that at that. Okay. I think this might be the last thing we talk about. As I take a drink of my Dr. Pepper Cream Soda Zero Sugar. That, ladies and gentlemen, is America. Whenever you worry about America and you think that we have it so bad, just go to the grocery store, to the salad dressing aisle, and count the number of ranch dressing options that we have. Remember, choices are freedom. And while we're on the topic of choices, and I think I, I talked about something similar to this the other day, but here it's come up again. And recently, if you hadn't heard, Supreme Court Justice Breyer announced that they're going to step down. Uh, they. See, I'm so trained by the media. He. He's going to step down. It's a male. It's a boy. It's a man. He's got a thang thang and two thang thangs. So he's. it got leaked that he's going to step down. I don't know all the intricacies, but he apparently was upset that it got leaked. Regardless, Biden has come out and said that he's going to select a black female. I think he may have referred to as African-American, but whether or not her roots were in Africa, we don't know that yet because she hasn't been picked. So what would be funny would be like, oh, you said you were going to pick an African-American, but this person's lineage actually goes back to the Aborigines from Australia. So they are not African-Americans, but that's another topic. Here is your president, not mine, slurring his words together, talking about who he's going to pick for the next Supreme Court justice. Just listen, listen to how his words run together. You know what? You know what to listen for. I don't need to tell you. I tell you all the time. Just listen to this, then we'll talk about it. Well, let me say a few words about a critically important work of selecting his successor. Choosing someone to sit in the Supreme Court, the Supreme I Court. believe, is one of the most serious constitutional responsibility a president has. Our process is going to be rigorous. I will select a nominee worthy of Justice Breyer's legacy of excellence and decency. While I've been studying candidates' backgrounds and writings, I've made no decision except one. The person I will nominate will be someone with extraordinary qualifications character, experience, and integrity. And that person will be the first black woman ever nominated to the United States Supreme Court. Why? Why? Why does it matter? Who cares? I thought we weren't dividing the country. I thought we weren't going to talk about race. I thought we weren't going to talk about this. Why Why would we limit... I'm going to settle down a little bit. I'm going to settle down. Why would we limit our selection pool we have, we have 12 Supreme Court justices, I think. I could be wrong. We don't have many. But let's just say we have 12. We have 12 for the entire country. These people uphold the Constitution across 340 million people. Is there any reason why we wouldn't want the best? Is there any reason why we wouldn't want to take our pool of 340 million people and pick the best 12? I mean, 
or do we want to just cut our pool? Let's see. Half the population is man, half the population is woman. There's like 0.05% that think they're in between. But let's just take 50%. So now we're going to cut our selection pool for half of 340 million. Now we're going to take, it's going to be a black person. or So we're going to take that down to like 12%. So now we've, we've cut our selection pool down to 6% of the entire country. Why? Why would we do that? Now, I don't know of all the candidates who are viable. I don't know what percentage of those are black women, but I guarantee you it's probably less than two, three, maybe. Listen, I have no problem with picking a black woman, but why wouldn't he do that? And what does he have to tell people for? Number one. Number two, why don't we just pick the best? Why do we have to to limit our selection pool? This is what he did with Kamala Harris. He made some stupid off-the-cuff comment about selecting a black woman to be his running mate. And look who he ended up with. The worst candidate of the entire Democratic primaries. She didn't even make it to the first caucus. So we're limiting our selection pool. And then we're, we're telling everyone, well, I'm going to pick a black woman. So I'm greater than everyone else. What? Why? Why create an unnecessary division? Because you know you're going to piss off people. And if it's, if it's just your duty and you just feel like it's just time, we just need to have a black woman so we have diversity in the Supreme Court, then just do it. You don't have to announce it. You don't have to virtue signal. You see, these people, it's not, th- it's not that they want to change things. It's not that they want to uphold the Constitution to the best of their ability. It's that they want votes. They want to be selected by the people. And the only way they can do that is by explaining to the people that they're picking people who look like them. And that is wrong. That is wrong. Why would we want to put someone on the Supreme Court that that would be willing to make decisions that affected a group of the population? You know, there's people out there who think, we need to get somebody elected who looks like us. That way they can make laws that help us. And what are they going to do for me? And you're going to give me something and give us something. Reparations. No. We want the best. We don't want to make rules and laws that only affect a small percentage of the population. Because these people act like, well, if you make a law and white people benefit, then black people must not benefit. Really? Is this all that it boils down to? Is this the only thing we look at now? Is what color someone's skin is? What their eyes look like? You mark my words. There will be a backlash. Because they're just ratcheting this thing up and up and up. You know why? Because it's working. It's working for dumb people. It's working for people who buy into the notion that they're of this particular segment of the population who's been abused and mistreated and ignored, which is entirely false. But these politicians feed them that information so that they can sympathize with them and they will select them on the ballot. If they wanted what's best for the country, they would pick the best person for the job. Diversity is great. Diversity should be based on your thought process. Your thought process should have nothing to do with your skin color. And if you think that someone's thought process has something to do with their skin color, you're racist. So what's going to be the backlash? What's, how's this going to change things? What's going to happen? Well, I can tell you what's going to happen. There's not going to be 
a group of white nationalists, Nazi skinhead Ku Klux Klan members running around with pitchforks and torches. But what's going to happen is that people who are who take the opposite viewpoint of that or or politicians that represent the antithesis of that idea will start putting laws into place that benefit people who look like them because they don't want the power to become unweighted. They don't want someone to have more power or, or more freebies or more give me's because of the color of their skin. And the Supreme court is about to be between a rock and a hard place. Now, luckily they didn't get to pick who serves on the Supreme court. The president do. So recently the Supreme court, it's under review right now that they are, um, They've been tasked with looking into the issue that lots of colleges have been turning away Asians, even though they meet the application criteria. And the reason for this is because they don't want they don't want to have an all Asian school. They want diversity. They want to have different, you know, people who look differently and think differently. And, you know, well, your eyes look different than your eyes. So you must think differently than everyone else, which is preposterous. But nonetheless, so Harvard and all these Ivy League schools has been turning away Asians who meet the criteria and accepting other minorities that don't meet the criteria or that don't have as high of test scores. And that is the complete opposite of what the Supreme Court's doing or what, what Slyden's trying to do with the Supreme Court. He's trying to put someone in there based on their skin color and their sex. Let's not forget that Biden voted against Clarence Thomas in 1991 when George Bush nominated Clarence Thomas to replace Thurgood Marshall. Biden said, well, we don't need a black boy in here now, boy. I'm going to vote a no, boy. That's what Biden said. Biden hung out with David Duke, spoke at his funeral. One of the most famous racist Ku Klux Klan member Democrats that ever was. You see the way Biden talks to people? You see the way he treats people? You do? Good. That's good. That's good. Because hopefully you can see that he's probably likely to be just as racist as everyone else points the fingers at everyone else for being. Nonetheless, we're starting to see that it's not good to control people by race. And that's that's what we are doing. We're controlling people based on the color of their skin. This is what the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was all about. The Civil Rights Act didn't say, we will put forth an effort to push African Americans to the top of the world. And we will put at a disadvantage anyone who gets in their way because they have been oppressed, repressed, decessed for the last 150 years. That's the great Reverend Joseph Jackson. In case you didn't know. Don't get mad at me. I just imitate what people sound like. But going back to my point, the reason that we don't announce candidates based on things that limit them is because it decreases the opportunity to pick good people. I mean, why don't we just pick a, a black woman left-handed with short nails, diabetes, who's a contortionist poker playing ballerina for the Supreme Court? Then we can really get a minority. We can really get someone in there who needs representation. Yeah, that sounds dumb, doesn't it? So does so does making two factors off the get-go. So does making one factor off the get-go. If our politicians don't have the ability 
to look at candidates and evaluate who's best. Who's best for the country? What are we doing? Why are we picking these people? We're picking people who just want to get reelected. We're not picking leaders. Leaders would say, you know what? We should probably have six Democrat-leaning judges and six conservative-leaning judges. And that would cause a tug-of-war. And we would get, most things would be down the middle. And then we would have to convince one another. They would have to convince each other. Sorry, there's got to be a tie break. You got, you got to pick one side or the other. What's wrong with that? Why, why are we trying to stack the Supreme Court in the favor of a political party? Oh, so, so that we can see the country go to the right. We want to see it go to the right. Well, what happens when someone gets in there that wants to see it go to the left? And then and three more people get in there that wants to see it go to the left. If you're so hell-bent on having a country that leans to the right, let's start another country. Let's, let's stop trying to make things or not and build from the ground up. I'm not advocating it. I'm just presenting options. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at the politicians. Get mad at the politicians. Here's a nice little montage of Biden whispering. I'm sure lots of you hadn't picked up on this trend. It's quite amusing. First part of your question was, I can't remember now. I think we're just going to go ahead and end it on that. Thanks again for listening to Life in Paradise podcast. I know it has nothing to do with a life in paradise, but I appreciate you tuning in. Go out there. Be brave. Your opinion. Don't whisper. Select the best candidate for the position, regardless of what they look like. And most of all, keep it tranquilo. Something in your eyes calls to a silver screen and all it's
friend.